What's the NBA playoff picture and what are the best matchups? What are our way too early NBA awards? Plus, our analysis of the Utah Jazz and what they can do to stay atop the rankings. And what do we think of the Craig Smith hire and the future of the Utah basketball program? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. Guys, so we're going to get right into it. Also, quick shout out to Richie. He gave us the outline this week, and it's going to be fantastic. We're covering a lot of good topics. And we're going to start out, of course, in the general news of the NBA. Uh, Playoffs are quickly approaching. I think teams in the NBA are averaging around uh, 20 to 25 games left in the regular season. Um, So now we're kind of getting down to it. This is the gritty end of the schedule you got to have games that matter, where your seeding is going to be. So we're going to talk about the playoff picture a little bit. So, Richie, as of right now, what are your thoughts about how the teams are seeded right now in both conferences? Um, starting with the Eastern Conference, um, just looking at it. So you have the 76ers and the Nets. They're in a tie right now, actually. Um, and I think the tiebreaker would go to the Nets. Um, then you have the Bucks, the Hawks at four. That seems kind of weird. And the Hornets at five. And then the Heat are at 6, uh, Knicks are at 7, Celtics at 8, Pacers at 9, Bulls at 10. Um, so there's about 20 to 22 games left in the season, depending on the team. And I think in the East, the Hawks and the Hornets are going to move down. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I The Heat have been pretty hot with uh, with Jimmy Butler. Their only problem is they have to incorporate Victor Oladipo into their into their system and I, I was actually tweeting at some guy the other day and he was tweeting at how when they have Victor Oladipo and Jimmy Butler on the floor at the same time they really have no shooting um yeah that definitely makes sense because I mean what made the Miami Heat so good last year was their shooting yeah um, everyone stepped up in the playoffs yeah and like Jimmy Butler was shooting unreal because Jimmy Butler's not a good career shooter but um with those two they don't have a lot of good lineups they can play um, where they have as much good shooting. So I could see that being a problem come playoff times. Um, I don't know. I think I think Nets finish first. I think 76ers stay um, second. Bucks at third. I'd put... Honestly, I'd put Heat at fourth. And I think the Knicks are also going to move up too. Um, I'm not sure what their schedule is like. But I don't know. This The Knicks team, they're, they're not bad at all. Yeah. I also think the Bulls are going to move up a bit. Um, I was watching the Bulls game last night, and the Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic pick and roll is unstoppable. Um, <laughs> just the way Zach Levine plays, he's such a threat attacking the basket, and then Nikola Vucevic has a great jump shot, so he can either roll or he can pick and pop. Yeah. And so you're not going to stop that. And then they also have a great supporting cast around them. Um, I, ha- I have a question. What does... The Celtics seeding surprise you this year being so low, or does it not surprise you? It honestly does surprise me because, I don't know, at the beginning of the season, in power rankings, they were usually five or six Yeah, in, in out of all the teams. Um, so them being at eight in the East, yeah, that's it's surprising. Yeah, I, I and you look at their, their top duo in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum always get so much, you know, attention from national analysts and... 
especially you expect them to play so well, but you see them kind of losing these these games that they're supposed to win. You see them dropping a lot of games that should be gimmies for this team, and it's it's bringing up a lot of coaching questions, you know. Um, so that one is that one is a little bit surprising to me as well. I what's like the best matchup for you if if the playoffs were to happen right now? What's your favorite matchup in the East? In the East, ooh, I think I think a Bucks Heat first round would be really fun. Um, assuming the Bucks stay kind of second or third, and the Heat somehow match up with them, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I think whatever the four or five in the East ends up being is going to be a fun series. I think the one eight will probably be a sweep and so will the two seven. And honestly, the three, six might as well be too. Um, there are three good teams in the East. Yeah. I, I agree with you on the, on the Bucks heat matchup. I think, especially with the history of the Bucks, they always, you know, they're, they've been consistent at the top in the regular season, but we always like in the past few seasons, they, they, you know, fall down in the playoffs. They don't end up being the team that we all think that they're going to, they're going to be in the playoffs. But now you have this heat team that took it to the finals last year. And like you said, when Jimmy, with Jimmy Butler coming back, um, they're, you know, taken off once again, now they're in the six seed position. So that's what I'm looking forward to a lot actually as well. But of course being, you know, jazz based, the Western conference is a lot more exciting. And I think the Western conference in general is a lot more competitive than it is in the East. I think that's, you know, you can just look at it and you can obviously tell, but what what's standing out to you right now from the playoff picture in the West? I think whoever the Lakers match up with in the first round is going to be really interesting. Um, honestly, the Lakers, let's see, they're, they're two and a half games from being the sixth seed right now. Um, so the Trailblazers and the Lakers, I don't know, the Lakers, their next games are pretty tough. Um, I don't think over their next 10 games they play a team that's under five hundred. Um, they play the Heat, Nets, Knicks, Hornets, Celtics, Jazz, Jazz, Mavericks, Mavericks. So they have a tough schedule without LeBron James and AD. Yeah. So I think they're going to keep falling down. Um, the Nuggets look good with Aaron Gordon. Oh my gosh, they look really good. So there are so many crazy statistics about Aaron Gordon. Um, one crazy one I saw is that no other player on the Magic um, had assisted Aaron Gordon more than those three players that were traded. So... That's Vucevic, Fournier, and I'm trying to think who's the third. It might just be those two. Yeah. So no other player had assisted Aaron Gordon more than those two players. And combined, they had assisted him like 20 times. And Nikola Jokic has already assisted him 11 times in four games. So the Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr. lineup is going to be pretty unstoppable. They have defense. They have way way more shooting than you would ever hope for yeah um they have cutters honestly that lineup is going to be pretty unstoppable the big question is their bench though um but they did make some good upgrades i think javel mcgee actually helps them on the bench yeah um so i think like i think nuggets are gonna finish third um i don't know a clippers trailblazers first round would be a lot of fun because of the history of paul uh paul george and damian lillard <laughs> And that would be you, really you know good. Dame Time would would be unreal that series. Yeah, and I don't know in the first round whoever the Lakers match up with. I'm sorry to that team. Yeah, I um I actually really I was t- I was gonna talk about that Nuggets Lakers as of right now because you know Denver's in four, Los Angeles in five. I like that matchup, especially if you have say you had LeBron and AD back by that time. 
I I just love the way that Denver's playing basketball right now, and especially we know that Jamal Murray steps up at the playoffs. We saw that last year. Oh yeah. You expect him to overperform what he usually does. Do you have a Do you have an interesting stat about that? Um, oh, I thought you. <laughs> well, honestly, Jamal Murray he's just actually been having like a great season this year. Surprisingly, um, I think in his last twenty games, he's um, sorry. I'm trying to find the statistic. But this year, he's averaging 21 points on really good shooting percentages, 41 from three, um, 48 from the field. And, you know, he's playing 35 minutes a game. So, honestly, he's he's kind of keeping up that that pace where he's still a star. Um, Obviously, he's not averaging 40 like he did in the bubble. But, I don't know, I still think Jamal Murray um, is one of the best guards in the West. And... Yeah, I think he's going to tear it up too. Yeah. And bringing it back to the Utah Jazz, since as of right now they are the one seed, they are semi-involved with those play-in games that right. they're doing this year. So um, we'll talk about that those West play-in games. So as of right now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it would be the Mavericks against the, uh, the Warriors uh-huh. and Memphis against San Antonio. Yeah. So... To take the eight seed, that would be um, the Mavericks and the Warriors. So, out of those two teams, who would be a better matchup for the Jazz in the first round? The Warriors. Yeah. The Warriors have one good player this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it It's inevitable because in that one game where the Jazz lost to the Warriors, it was, again, in all of the Jazz losses this year, it's, it's a Jazz team that is significantly different. A Jazz team that loses is like black and white compared to the jazz team that wins. Like it's not like it's the same team that wins and loses. They look completely different. And in the case of the game that they lost to golden state, the warrior, it was Steph Curry's birthday and everyone was just shooting lights out from deep range. Yeah. (laughs) And the, you know, the jazz were again having a really hard time and it wasn't even close to their, you know, prime performance. So I agree with you on that one. I think that's a really good matchup. And, you know, even looking at if there wasn't a playoff game, I, I think the Jazz match up really well with all of those lower seed teams if they were to, you know, rise or fall. I like their matchup against the Grizzlies. Um, say they were to go against the Mavs. Obviously, we saw in that last game, it was the worst performance of the, one of the worst performance shooting performances by Donovan Mitchell and other Jazz members, but yet they only lost by eight. Crazy statistic about that game. That was the first time a team has scored 23 points on it or 23 three pointers on us since Donovan Mitchell's rookie season. So they had to have an incredible game yeah, it seemed to be like, able to beat us. Yeah, and it seemed like at the beginning of that fourth quarter when the Jazz were trying to come back from an 18-point deficit, it seemed like it was literally just threes back and forth. And I thought, man, these guys like that are in, like Brunson and all these guys that are, you know, leading the second round, yeah. like second team in, they're shooting lights out from deep. And I'm like, well, hey, this Josh Richardson, he's like a 31% three-point shooter this year, and he makes like his first five. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what you're supposed to do against yeah. that. I mean, granted, a lot of his looks were wide open. Yeah. Which the Jazz could improve on. Exactly. But. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Okay, and then if we travel back over to the east, now we've got the Knicks going up against uh, Chicago and uh, the Celtics going up against the Pacers. So what do you like? What do you like about those playing games or matchups? Um, the Pacers aren't great this year. Um, I think people thought they were going to be better. Sabonis has been pretty good. Yeah, but they've kind of struggled in other parts. Um, I think it'll be a good matchup between them and the Celtics. But um, 
I do think the Celtics would come out on top. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are really good ISO scorers, which is what you need a bit of in the playoffs. Um, and then with the Knicks-Bulls matchup, um, I don't know. That's hard to say. Both teams are having good seasons um, compared to their last season. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of matchups that would be fun in that. Vucevic versus Randall. Um, Levine versus RJ Barrett. I think that would make for a fun game or two, hopefully. Um, ultimately, though, I think the Bulls would come out on top. Yeah. Yeah, Rich is a big fan of the Bulls now, so <laughs> let that be known. I went to one Bulls game, watched Zach Levine, and uh, fell I fell in love. Fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so that's like our early playoff picture, but you know, diving deep into it, we talked about it a little bit in our last episode, but we're going to talk about our way too early award winners for all the main um, – uh, awards so you got mvp six man of the year defensive player of the year coach of the year rookie of the year we're gonna dive through that a little bit obviously as jazz fans we might be a little bit biased but yeah you know there's some <laughs> jazz guys that have some they have some credibility behind their case so we'll start with the the granddaddy of them all mvp all right who's your mvp to this point in the season nikola Jokic. yep that was that was what i put down to yeah see i would say Embiid or lebron um Earlier, I think I said both of those were ahead, but because of um, the games they haven't played, it really puts them back. James Harden also just hasn't played enough games for him to be con- um, considered a real MVP candidate. I think right now it's actually coming down between Jokic and Damian Lillard, which is fun. I love both those guys, so I'm fine if either of them win it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was looking at you know doing some more research into you know the MVP race because obviously Jokic has just clearly risen to the top in a, in a fast pace. But if you look at his stats, it's like, okay, how can this guy not be MVP this year? Right. Okay. So he's averaging 21 points, um, 8.4 rebounds, nine assists, shooting almost 52% from the floor and 50% from three as a center. And then if you go dive a little bit deeper, um, Jokic in win shares per 48 minutes, he is an elite company. The only other people to average his win shares the same amount is Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Steph Curry. That's insane. <laughs> like, okay, that's some elite company right there. Yeah. So if you look at if you like look into Jokic's stats, you can see the effect that he has on this Nuggets team. But even just watching him, you can just tell he's the center of it all. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> But uh, what was your specific case or what kind of stood out to you for Jokic being the MVP? So my biggest argument against him before um, compared to Joel Embiid okay, I like that. was that Joel Embiid is number one in the East, whereas Nikola Jokic uh, was number five in the in the West. But yeah. the Nuggets are moving up. Like I said, I think they're going to finish third in the West. Um, and honestly, I think if they finish third, it's, it's his MVP. Yeah. Because... I don't know. I feel like they're they're exceeding a lot of expectations, especially at the beginning of the season when they had a kind of a rough start. Yeah. Um, but you know they've, I feel like they've really figured it out as a team, and a lot of it is because of Jokic. Absolutely agree. Jokic, you're our man. Just know we're a fan of yours. Okay. Uh, sixth man of the year. I feel like it's not even a contest, but <laughs> it's obviously Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. He's he's really the on, only candidate. People were talking about Shake uh, Shake Milton on the 76ers earlier. Oh yeah. You look at their stats. Um, it's, it's it's not even close. Yeah, it's not close. Clarkson's averaging 
let's see. He's averaging, I think, 18 points a game this season. It's it's almost like starter stats. Yeah. He's getting really good minutes. And also what I like about Clarkson is that he loves his role. Right. Like, I, I obviously understand that being a reserve compared to a starter definitely has its, you know, pros and cons. But he says, like, he loves his role because Quinn Snyder, and they've said it multiple times, he allows him to play like himself. And again, when you think, man, this guy's shooting some crazy shots, you know, <laughs> almost half the time they're going in. It's yeah. it's crazy. But I'd put that one down, too, because I thought, yeah, there's there's no other person that's even close to him. What Did you pull up his stats? Yeah, so he's, at, you know, he's averaging 17 points a game off the bench. That's crazy. <laughs> um He's shooting 95% from free throw, which if he if he keeps at that pace, he'll be number two all time in free throw percentage, which is crazy. Wow. Over the course of a season. Um, you know, his other field goal percentages aren't super, super high, and neither is his plus minus. Um, but he does exactly what the Jazz ask for. He yeah. goes in, he scores points. Um, he plays his heart out. I know he's not the best defender, but you can see that he's always trying to be a good defender. Yeah. Um, so I think I think for that reason, that's why he would be number one. Number two on the list for me is actually Joe Ingles because Joe Ingles yeah. be- off the bench is great. He's helped the Jazz so much. He's going to have the highest true shooting percentage ever this season. Um, it's over 70%, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. For for a wing, like you look at the other ones, it's like DeAndre Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Joe Ingles. <laughs> He's like that, but he's like smack in the middle of all those <laughs> right. guys. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely made his case. It's weird, though, because he started out really shaky. Then he had a weird Achilles injury, and then after that, it just seemed like something clicked. And ever since then, he knows his role as well as Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. Okay, defensive player of the year. Ooh, uh, I mean, for me, this is a runaway as well. Rudy Gobert, <laughs> the stats back me up. Yeah. You can't argue. And if you follow Richie on Twitter, you know. His defensive impact. um, So you look at his defensive and offensive impact, and he's number one in the NBA. Yeah. Like by a large margin. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that stat, actually, that uh, you put up or retweeted. Yeah, that was that was pretty standing. You know, everyone's talking about Ben Simmons, but if you look at ever since Ben Simmons like vocally came out and said basically I'm the best defensive player, he's actually gone down in his statistics a little bit. Right. So and and Rudy is always, you know, game in, game out. He's putting in a constant performance on the defensive end, as as you said on the offensive end. He no one knows really how big of an impact he has on the Jazz until you watch him play. Like everyone's like, "Okay, yeah, his stats aren't MVP worthy." Well, you know, I understand that, but if, like you said, if you look at what he does for this Jazz team, it's monumental. But the thing is, people are only looking at, like, a couple statistical categories. Like, the main stats. They're looking at, like, points per game, rebounds. And he's, like, number two in rebounds per game this season. Blocks, yeah. he's number two in blocks. Um, but you start de- diving into the deeper stats that, like, um, I don't know. Looking at st- statistics, um, some of them are super useful, depending on the context. Yeah. But it's the context that always gets twisted. But no matter the way you twist the context, Rudy Gobert, he's the defensive player of the year. And I believe as of last game, he's still in like the top three or four of plus minus on the court, isn't he? He's number one. Oh, in plus he's number one. Season. He was the first player to um, cross plus 500. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that also shows you his impact. All right. That one was simple. Okay. Here's another one. Coach of the year. Uh, Quinn Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> three jazz men in a row. You got to love it. I think... Um, as much as I hate to say it, though, Doc Rivers also gets some credit. Yeah. I'd also consider Steve Nash. Um, yep. But I feel like Steve Nash, he's just letting people play their game. Yeah. 
He's doing That's what a Steve super Kerr team. did. Yep. Um, but with with the 76ers, they, they had him beat out for a little bit, and they're still winning games. So I think that actually speaks to um, Doc Rivers' strength as a coach. Um, and honestly, it's a well-balanced roster over there. Yeah. But Quinn Snyder, I mean, he's – he's finally been able to implement what he's wanted to do with the jazz um, this season and, and last season too. Um, and obviously it's paying off. And I think his philosophy as a coach, the way he conducts himself and the wins, I think that speaks for his case as, as coach of the year. Yeah. I I think I basically put down the same thing. I put Kunstmanner and my honorable mention was Monty Williams. Okay. Um, I, I also thought about Doc Rivers and Steve Nash. Um, but I like Monty Williams mostly because um, the Suns, like, we saw a little bit of, like, what they could do with Ricky Rubio, point guard, in the uh-huh. bubble last year. They won all of their games in the regular season. But, you know, adding Chris Paul, I think he, more than Monty Williams, in my opinion, I think Chris Paul has made that difference for that Absolutely. team. He has sparked the Suns right back into the playoff picture, and I, I love that. I'm a big fan of Chris Paul. I, I love his game and his style. Um, I hate how he whines, but <laughs> yeah, I, that's like with literally every star watching Luca the other day, just, just bothered me a little bit, but um, yeah, I think Monty Williams is my honorable mention. Um, Cause I think you got to give some credit to the coach. Cause that's a really big turnaround from yeah. not being in the playoff. And now they're the two seed and you know, depending on the game tonight with the jazz, they're fighting for that one seed now. Pretty impressive. Okay. And finally rookie of the year. Um, it was Lamelo Ball's award um, <laughs> until he fractured his wrist. Yeah, yeah, which sucks. Um, looking at it right now, I th- I think it's between Tyrese Halliburton on the Kings and Anthony Edwards. Yeah, um, that's what I that's I put I literally put the exact same thing. I don't up. think like any rookies really stand out this year. Um, like I look back at Donovan versus Ben Simmons versus Jason Tatum. That was a fun rookie of the year. That rookie class was insane. Yeah. And it, it there was honestly a case to be made for either either one of um, one of those guys um, this year. None of these players are like are really great. Yeah, um, but they, I I think Tyrese Halliburton's gonna win it. Okay, yeah, I I think like all of them have had like spurts, and you've seen little bits of like what they can do, like their potential. But yeah, I I put the same thing down. I put it was Lamelo Ball's like it was a runaway. Yeah. Um. And then I put uh, Anthony Edwards at number two, just because recently he's been on a little bit of a run, but obviously you know that could change, so I'm with you on that one. But going into, we're going to go a little bit more specific. We'll get jazzy with it. Um, we'll talk about some of the recent games with the Jazz, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, so the Jazz were, again, on another nine-game win streak. Um, I think now they have the three biggest win streaks in the NBA. I yeah. think they've had 11, 9, and 9, right? Yeah, that's right. So, really impressive. I it like I didn't even notice they won 9 in this last one until someone actually pointed it out. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's been that many games in a row. You know, whoop-de-doo. Um, so, during that streak or those last games, what worked for them? Like, what was good? Um, I think one thing that helped is we didn't really play bad teams. Or we didn't play good teams. <laughs> yeah. Um. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's going to be the rest of the season, yeah. Uh, I think ever since that Wizards loss, um, you know, we didn't really play a good team. But at the same time, we came out with fire after that Wizards game. And honestly, the Celtics game before it, um, you could you could kind of feel like a different energy on the Jazz team. Um, 
they came out of the all-star break pretty rough they lost to the warriors they had a really close game against the rockets who had nobody playing they lost to um yeah they lost to the wizards too so they lost three out of four right out of the all-star break um and then they win nine in a row and so i look at that and what i think is there's a change of attitude there's a change of readiness and preparation in the locker room as well and i feel like they're getting up for the games um looking at that mavericks game that they lost like i said the mavericks had an insane shooting game um they made over they made 23 threes um luca was incredible luca just would not miss um they didn't have porzingis but dorian finney smith had 23 points yeah um Josh Richardson had seven, Jalen Brunson had 20. So they had like a really good game against us and not their best scorers were scoring. Um, so I look at that game. It was a really bad shooting night for the Jazz. Really bad. And yet we still only lost by eight. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like it's a good sign. Um, yeah. And the players, the players said that too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, um, you know, the more you come to know this Jazz team, the more you see how they play. And especially the last two games that they played have been, it's basically black and white, complete different teams. You know, against the Magic, who is, you know, bottom of the league, they were 26 of 55 from three. Like, yeah. if you watch Donovan Mitchell in the first half, I was, like, screaming because I was Unreal. like, I've never seen this shooting before. He's pulling up. He has high screens from Rudy, like, six feet behind the arc, Looks and he's like draining Steph. him. <laughs> and he was literally walking back before, like, yeah, he was looking like Steph. So they shot 47% from three that game, and they made 26 threes. Blows my mind. Then you go against the Mavs, and they shot 12 for 44, and that's 27%. And again, like you said, we only lost by eight. And the big thing I see when, when the Jazz are down... And, you know, the announcers on AT&T Sportsnet, oh, we love those guys. But um, they, they pointed out something that I thought was interesting. They said um, they look they look like a different team when they're down and they have a different energy. But something that I noticed is sometimes they, they know their key roles and how they play their game. And if sometimes it's not working, they still try and force it in games that they're losing. Um, like, for example, Mike Conley was shooting actually pretty well. Like, he had 13 points in that first quarter. Yeah. He was looking really good. But yeah, I still kind of saw how he was hesitant to score. It looked like that from my end. And then Donovan also was having just really not a good shooting day. And there was a lot of four shots at the end. You know, they're trying to will their way back, but there's a lot of four shots. And so kind of the my, my thing or my idea that kind of stuck out to me was it, it's critical to understand roles in different games. Some things that are working and some things that aren't. And so you can strive to your strengths during those games. Um, when certain players are, you know, performing really well, look to those guys when other guys aren't try and find a way. And I understand like when you're, you want Donovan to get cooking, you want to get him some shots. Um, but some things could just kind of look forced in that loss to the Mavs and that kind of stuck out to me. I don't know. Did anything else stick out to you in the, yeah, I I'm thinking about what Donovan Mitchell said at the beginning of the season. Um, one thing he said is we need our defense to be good every night because our offense will have off nights. Yep. And we had an off night against the Mavericks. But our defense wasn't on either. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, honestly, like we need Rudy in the paint to be able to protect, but we're also sacrificing a lot when they have a five that can shoot. And that killed us. Um, yeah. And there were other instances throughout the game where I did not think our defense was great. And I think our perimeter defense struggled, and that's why they shot 46% from three. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a, that statistic is a, it's a sign that something's not working. 
Um, cause they didn't shoot a lot of free throws, which means they're not getting into the paint a lot. Yep. Um, but they shot 49 threes. Um, so they had a ton of wide open looks and they were making them. Yeah. Um, and I noticed transition D was a big thing on that one too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see us kind of live up to what Donovan said by playing good defense every single game. And if our offense is struggling, then our defense will keep us in the game. Yeah. I like that. And as you said, even with a really rough defensive night and a really rough offensive night, we still only lost by eight to a team having a really good shooting night, one of their yeah. best. So now we're looking forward. Uh, looking at the rest of the season, what are your highlight games? What are the games that the Jazz have to focus on with you know all that's coming up? So we have the Suns tonight and then the Trailblazers. Um, on a yeah, those are two big ones. So the Trailblazers, Mike Conley won't play, which because um, he doesn't play on back-to-backs. Back to back. Yeah. Um, so those two are, those two are big. Um, the Lakers ones will be fun. It'll be interesting to see if they have Anthony Davis and, or LeBron James. Um, AD is apparently just like a week or two from being healthy. Um, and, and LeBron's off his boot now. And then we play the seven, we play the Suns again, um, April 30th. And I think, is that one at home or away? I believe that one's at home, but I could definitely be wrong. Um, I think that one is at home. Um, so that's an important one too. And then looking at that, like we play the Nuggets again, we play the Trailblazers again. And then other than that, not a ton of hard games. So the Jazz have it easy, but we really have to be looking at those games, um, those harder games, and we have to get prepared for them because those are the games that are going to get us ready for playoffs. Yeah. Um, I had, yeah, I had a few that stood out to me. It was obviously the Suns matchups, the Lakers matchups, and the Nuggets, the Nuggets matchup. The Lakers one, I think, is going to be very interesting because it's kind of in that timetable between, you know, Anthony Davis's and LeBron's injuries. I don't think LeBron's going to be back, but yeah. When we play the Lakers in, what, a few weeks? Yeah. Yeah. In like two weeks. Yeah. So that's going to be around that time. And that's also kind of a back-to-back away. We play them consecutively on the road. So that one's going to be crucial as well. I, I'm interested to see how the Jazz perform against those guys. And like we've already been talking about, the Nuggets are on fire right now, especially with the Aaron Gordon trade. So I'm really excited because the Nuggets was that loss that kind of stopped the Jazz's huge momentum at the beginning of the season. Uh-huh. So I'd really like to see how they perform against this new Nuggets team at home. That one's going to be really exciting. I'm actually super stoked for that one. Um, so we've talked about kind of the strengths and the weaknesses over these past games. What's something that the jazz need to do to get ready for the playoffs? Um, I think a lot of it is in the locker room. Um, interesting. I feel like sometimes we don't come out ready to play and it shows in certain players. Um, like going back to that Mavericks game once again, yeah. uh, Royce O'Neal was like 0 of 7 from 3. And he had really good looks. Yeah, he had great looks, just wide open every time because he doesn't shoot unless he's wide open. Yeah. Um, Joe Ingles had three points that entire game. So I think as a team, they need to come out of the locker room ready, um, especially against those good teams. Yeah. And we also have to be ready for teams to just attack us because looking back at that Nuggets loss, they came out so hard and they just attacked us. And that's why they had such a good shooting game. It wasn't even close. And we were just not ready for it at all. So we really just have to, I feel like a lot of it is mental readiness. Um, I also think some of our defensive matchups kind of struggle. Um, Bogey has not been great at defense this season. Yeah. Um, granted, he's getting better, but he's 
I honestly feel like he's a liability on defense. Donovan's defense has looked better. Mike is playing great on defense, and Rudy's playing great, and Royce is giving you what you want. But um, the problem is when Royce has to match up with a guard that's bigger, like Jamal Murray or Devin Booker. Those two guys kill Royce because Royce isn't fast enough to go around a screen. And so every time they set yeah. a screen, that guard goes around the screen, gets wide open look. Yeah. And I saw that especially, and even Luca's not even that fast. But I saw when Royce was guarding Luca, Royce just has a difficult time with the screen. And I thought, okay, are they going to choose to go under or over on these certain ones? And it seemed like every yeah. time he picked the wrong decision and Luca got a good shot. And the thing is, I feel like Rudy doesn't come up on the screens, which granted, I don't want him to come up. Yes. Uh, we want his presence in, in the, the paint. paint. But. It would just be great if Royce could figure out how to go under a screen or go through a screen. Yeah, that was that was a little bit uh, frustrating. Also, looking back to that Mavs game, um, I you know looking at what you said, I think I absolutely agree because I think those opening minutes are crucial to how you play for the rest of the game. And I've noticed like yeah, the Jazz have kind of rough starts, and they usually find their you know way usually at the end of the second quarter and the third quarter. Yeah, it doesn't take them until later on to get the engine finally going. And I think that's, like you said, that's a really big difference. If you start like that at the beginning, you're already setting yourself that much of a gap for the rest of the game when you can actually, you know, pick up the pace. So, yeah, that's a good that's a good observation. I'm also um, curious to see if we're going to have any lineup changes come playoff time. Um, for example, against the Nuggets, I think Aaron Gordon would kill Bogdanovich in the paint. Um, oh, yeah. I just think Bogey's not a good paint defender. And Aaron Gordon's going to get a lot of buckets down there. So I'd be curious to see if we run like a Favors-Rudy lineup um, where Favors is on Jokic and Rudy's guarding the paint. Um, I don't know. I just I think we could switch up the lineups a little bit so that we're more defensively effective, but we would be losing some offense at the same time. Yeah, and I think um, we saw Quinn do that with the Nuggets last year in the playoffs a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I he'd, think he'd run... Yeah, John Morgan. John Morgan started, and yeah. you know that that was my first season back from being gone for a few years, and I was kind of like, "Who is this guy?" But I was like, watching his <laughs> watching his defense, I was like, "Okay, yeah, he can handle. He can handle pretty well." Yeah, he defended and rebounded. And I think, especially in the playoffs, I, I just don't think your starting lineup um, is you know matters. That has to be the same constant one all the time because in the playoffs, winning matters, and I think how you match up players that's that's the key to winning the game. And I think in the NBA. I don't think it should matter to like who starts and who doesn't because I think like Jordan Clarkson, he knows his role and he, he I think he's more valuable than some starters. Like I'm more confident in him shooting now than Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich starts. I think it, there's rotations because that second rotation is just as important as the first because if you build a lead, you need to keep that lead. So you need to have scores and you need have to have players complement the other ones in the other rotation. So I'm actually really excited to see depending on who we match up in the playoffs, if there will be a if there will be a transition in the uh, starting lineup. That's a good that's a good point out. So um, let's transfer a little bit over to um, Utah men's basketball, which is, you know, it might be a little bit exciting to talk about them. Right. <laughs> We've got a new coach. We talked about it last episode. We were talking about our picks. Who was it, who was it going to be? Who wasn't it going to be? And now we know. But before that, and, you know, since Craig Smith has come to the U, before that, there were a lot of people entering the transfer the transfer portal. And as you know, the transfer portal is just absolutely insane in both football and basketball right now. But basketball, we've already seen players come back because of how nuts it is. Yeah. But as of right now, we had Kelly Erleve, um, Plummer, Allen, 
I think that's the three that are still gone, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, then you also had you had Batten enter the portal and come back. You had the Lachun. Yeah. Yeah. He came. He, came he went in and came back. Yeah. Um. And Martin Martinez is also in Mar- the portal. Yeah. Martinez just left. Um. Okay. So out of those transfers, what what are your thoughts? What's damaging? What's not damaging? Um. You know, Plummer. I think he won't play another season of college basketball. Um. He's a senior, and this season didn't count for his eligibility. But I do think he'll be he'll be leaving, um, trying to go play overseas or something, uh, maybe in the G League. I don't I don't think he's good enough. Yeah. Um. So that one I feel like doesn't hurt us too much. I think he was gone either way. Um. The Timmy Allen one, that one sucks. Um, yeah. If he ends up transferring, uh, Timmy Allen's been Pac-12 All First Team for two consecutive years. Um. If he leaves, I'd get it though. He'd probably go to a team that's gonna be in the tournament next year. Um, I don't, I can't guarantee that Utah is going to be in the tournament next year mm. as much as I'd love it. I, I think we have some building to do. Um, so that one hurts. And then Ian Martinez leaving hurts. Um, yeah, especially with that last game, I thought he had a lot of upside. Right. And Ryland came down with an injury late in the season and Ian kind of stepped up and was playing great minutes and was scoring a lot. And looking at him, he looked like the most athletic player on the, on our side of the floor. Um, so that one, that one sucks. His dad, however, is staying on the coaching staff. Really? Yeah. I thought he'd be leaving because of that. So, I thought it was kind of like a package deal. But. Yeah, no, I kind of did too. Um, looking at the, let's look at the men's basketball coaching staff. Um, but so you have Craig Smith as your coach. Um, sorry, I'm trying to pull it up. He brought right two now. guys from Utah State. Yeah. So Eric Peterson and... Curran Walsh, I think, is who he had. Uh huh. So looking looking at what it says right now on their on their website. So Demarlo Slocum, who was a oh. former um, assistant coach, came Love back. That guy, which is going to be awesome. He he fits in with the program. He knows what he's doing. Um, he's been in other places, so he can bring some of his knowledge there back into the Utah program. Um, but it does say Henry Martinez, which is Ian Martinez's dad, mm-hmm. is staying on the program. Um, that might change. I don't know. But so far, it hasn't. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to see who Craig Smith, you know, picks and chooses because obviously you had Ian's dad and Ryland's dad on the coaching staff, and I was interested to see if you know those were going to be package deals. Say if you know the coaches weren't going to be staying on the staff with their sons leave. Yeah. Um, but you also pointed out Timmy Allen has had some cryptic tweets, as you may. <laughs> he hasn't been like it's like weird riddles type things. I don't know. I read I read a few of them, but you've got them pulled up. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So his latest retweet was a retweet of Isaiah Mobley on USC, um, a retweet of their USC men's basketball Twitter account. Um, maybe I'm looking too far into that, but he might go to USC. Um, that would be the worst. His his most recent tweet, if they really had love, they would have showed me. What does that mean, Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> if who really had love? Um I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, if he's talking about the fans, I. Here's here's the thing: fans show up when teams do well. Yeah. As of recent, the team hasn't been doing as well as it should have been doing for as prominent of a program as Utah was. And at the same time, if he's pointing out that we were pointing out mistakes, I I love Timmy Allen's game. Don't get me wrong; he's uh-huh. got some really good strengths. I love that as 
a fast small forward he can get into the paint and he can you know get to the free throw line and he wasn't he was average at the free throw line but yeah he puts up good shot he puts up some good shots but at the same time he was really bad with turnovers on the drive when he drove into the basket i felt like his hands were just made of butter or something and that ball was <laughs> flying somewhere else um and he's not a good outside perimeter shooter which is what you need now in college basketball uh-huh. i didn't trust him outside of 15 feet from the basket yeah um and so there were some things that you know you had to point out but i think that's like with every great player you there's some mistakes you point out it happened with kuzma at utah you know it happened with Pirtle sometimes it just happens when you are really good and elite at basketball people are going to point out your small mistakes and i think that should be good to help you get better but we don't know what Timmy Allen means with these tweets. He's, but if he goes to USC, I, I, I don't know. I don't like that. Because it feels like Brian Thompson going to ASU all over again. It's like, okay, well, I just feel like we're going to beat you this next. I don't mean to sound prideful, but I feel like we're going to beat you this year, and you're going to feel bad about it. But USC's a really good team. I, I'm going to be interested to see if the Mobley brothers stay. Well, Evan Mobley is probably going to go into the draft. Okay, because he, he'd be a number two or three pick. Yeah, and Isaiah was also really good. Yeah, um, I think I think Isaiah might actually be a senior as well. Yeah, I don't I'm, I don't think he would stay another year though. Yeah, which I I don't know that that is interesting. So thanks for pointing that out. Uh, but Craig Smith, we'll go back to the U program. Craig Smith, I thought was a good hire because as much as we loved the NBA, um, the NBA, uh, uh, it was NBA prospects. There it is in Alex Jensen and Johnny Bryant, there was just no way they were going to leave um, yeah. their respective programs. I liked how Alex Jensen said, you know, he he liked, he loves that job, and he says, you know, maybe in the future that could be a potential outcome, but he's built something with the Jazz program, and he wants to kind of see the fruits of his labors, and I absolutely agree with him. I think that's a good choice. Same with Johnny Bryant. He's with the Knicks, one of the richest sports organizations in the world, and he's getting paid decently, and he's also up for a head coaching position in the NBA, so why leave? So we went to Craig Smith, and I thought, you know what? That's actually a good option. I thought, you know, maybe he's loyal to the Aggies. You know, I think he likes money, and I think Utah has a lot to offer. So let's look at Craig Smith a little bit. What do you, what do you got for us for Craig Smith? Um, so what intrigued me about him was his coaching record. Um, so he coached four years at South Dakota. He had one losing season there. Um, his last season they were 26-9, and nine. Um, and then Jeez. that transferred immediately to Utah State. Um his first season there, twenty-eight and seven. His second season there, twenty-six and eight. Um, third season, twenty and nine. And in two of those seasons, he made the NCAA tournament. He would have made him all three seasons if not for COVID. Yeah. Um, so I think that honestly speaks a lot to his coaching ability. Granted, the Mountain West isn't the same as the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, I do think your ability to coach does transfer though. Yep. And I feel like we see that every year in the tournament with mid-level teams. Um. You know, you have teams like Loyola, Chicago, um, trying to think of some other teams, but that come into the tournament consistently and are well coached. They don't have the best athletes. They don't have um, the best players, but they're well coached. And so they honestly um, kind of have an advantage because of that. And I think, I think Craig Smith's coaching is going to transfer great into Utah. Um, I think we're going to, we might, I hope we're a positive team this year, Um go over 500 and I don't know it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see what he does yeah I in all of his interviews that he's had with um you know talk show hosts and analysts he said pretty much the same things of what he wants to do with this program and I like what he's been saying and what he's going to emphasize 
He says he wants to schedule up a non-conference, which I think is awesome for basketball because I feel in a lot of Kraskoviak's era and a lot of the games I went to, it was a lot of D2, D3 teams where, you know, you're blowing teams out by 40. And I feel like, you know, that's good practice, but you don't really get the same turnout from fans and the same kind of energy in the game. It kind of feels like an exhibition or a practice. And he says, I want home and homes, even though they're kind of dwindling and how people are scheduling them. He says, I want home and homes. I want to play those teams that are at the top of the nation because as you can see, when we schedule top teams outside of the conference, fans want to come out and see that. Uh-huh. Say, for example, I know we we had a like a home and alternate with Kentucky, but fans showed up and they, they want to see like us play Kentucky. They want to see us play Duke. They want to see us play these teams that are prominently known because we only get to play the Pac-12 for most of the year. We don't get to play all these cool outside programs until potentially in the NCAA tournament. So I like that he emphasized that. Um, he also emphasized um of playing the teams in state um he wants to play byu on a regular basis which i think is going to be really interesting now because byu is obviously on the with mark pope they're going up and i think that's going to be a really good matchup um but then he also just really emphasizes how he wants to get good guys out of the transfer portal which i think was the big thing missing with chris at the end of his term which was getting good guys out of like junior colleges, guys with experience, because it felt like with all the transfers or the guys that Kraskoviak was picking up, it felt like we were a freshman team all over again. And we weren't having experience. We may have had some talent. But if you get guys like, say, for example, when we got DeLon Wright, he was a junior coming out of junior college, and he immediately impacted the program. When you find, and same with Lorenzo Bonham, he was another guy right after. So if you look at guys like that, that's what's needed, and I think Craig Smith knows that, and he knows how to recruit. You saw that with Utah State. He turned that program around like like that. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does with his youth program. Um, funny, interesting thing about DeLon Wright and Kyle Kuzma, they were recruited by DeMarlo Slocum. Yeah, see, that's, so, that's why I love him coming yeah. back, because he was the guy who brought together the guys who knew how to play basketball at Utah. Oh yeah, He's a really good recruiter, and I was... I was already jumping for joy because I was like, this is what we needed. He's back, and he knows how to recruit. Um, I think they already got one from Cincinnati and Gabe Madsen. He was, uh-huh. uh, I think he's a freshman still because of COVID, but um, he was kind of he was a reserve for them over there, but he only played for two games before opting out um, for the rest of the season. But his high school stats are really good, and he's got a really good um, small forward type build to him. So I'm excited to see how that goes. And yeah, how great shooter. Yeah, and how the rest of the recruiting trail goes. I want to see who these guys are, who they're picking up. I think... Today, they said they were also targeting um, a Texas transfer um, who seemed pretty intriguing, but obviously, obviously with more with more weeks, we'll be able to give you more insight on who Craig Smith's going to find and how the seats program is going to turn around. But big news, honestly, was in the NCAA tournament, we saw the Pac-12 just absolutely thrive. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be honest, as a Pac-12 fan, you know, back the pack, I was like surprised. I was like... Because we beat up on each other in conference play. Like yeah. every week it's like, hey, even though this last year Utah was not as good, I thought we actually have a chance against USC, UCLA, all these other teams. And then they go to the tournament and they're blowing these other teams out of the water. Like what did you think from the Pac-12's play in the tournament? Man, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was um, a really big just FU to the nation <laughs> because the Pac-12 gets bagged on year after year. Yeah. Um, they get bagged on like, oh, they're not a real Power 5 conference. They're the weakest of the Power 5 conferences. Um, but honestly, we just showed up this year. And with all the hype of the Big Ten, they had how many teams did they have in the tournament? I think eight teams in the yeah. tournament. Um, 
and everybody's like, oh, Big Ten owns this tournament. And then the Pac-12 goes, and we beat Big Ten teams. We beat every team, man. It was oh, awesome. UCLA going to the Final Four. Who would have thought? And they put Gonzaga, Gonzaga had to get a crazy half-court buzzer beater to beat them yeah. in overtime. Yeah, like, it, it was like the best game of the tournament. Oh, by far. And what was also intriguing is I saw um, Oregon State, who was basically with Utah the entire season in terms of you know wins and losses, gets to the Pac-12 tournament wins it all and they were playing like stellar basketball uh-huh. and i'm like okay you know they make it to the tournament good for them when i made my bracket i'm like you know what i actually see these guys being a sweet 16 team well they proved me wrong they went to the elite eight and i was like okay that that was literally like our mid-tier team for the regular season made it to the elite eight yeah i thought it would have been awesome if usc and oregon didn't have to match up yeah so i early. thought that was unfortunate um and then the winner of that game had to play gonzaga yeah so that was kind of a, a rough schedule but no, that was really cool. I think um, their final um, record was like 14-5, and five, and the Big Tens was obviously a losing record. Um, so I thought really good job by the Pac-12 to show them like, who we are. And I'm, that makes me more excited for next Pac-12 basketball season because I'm excited to see what Craig Smith does with all his competition. Oh, yeah. So that's all we have for this episode of The Thatcher Effect. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch us on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure to tell your friends and family to tune in. And to follow us on Instagram on Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'll see you guys around.